A very good morning to you. If you'd like to grab your coffee, donut, seat, Bibles, we'll get cracking. My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful, beautiful Kate. Together we attempt to lead this church. If you are new or you are visiting, as Kate said, you're very welcome. Do go and have a, uh, see the guys over there on the welcome desk. Um, we'd love to help connect you either with this part of the body of Christ or whichever part of the body of Christ God is calling you to. Uh, we'd love to help you do that. So go and see the, the guys over there. They'd love to welcome you. Uh, if you're new or visiting, you'll see that we're now uh, trying to move towards um, getting rid of our compostable cups. We've now gone reusable cups. If you're new or visiting, and only if you're new or visiting, there's a free Stojo cup in those bags. Seriously. We want... <laughs> we'll be checking retinal scans. If you leave and come back six weeks later, you can't... It, you, it doesn't work like that. It just doesn't work like that. And <laughs> if you've got a Bible... We've got a Bible, so me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're finishing off our series, our Lent series that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Uh, I know that Lent hasn't quite finished yet, but we are finishing our Lent series today. We've got Sally McGreevy coming next week, which will be awesome. Uh, so let's, let's jump straight into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll pick up from verse 35, which is where we left off last week. Let me just pray first. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here. We thank you for the scriptures, we thank you for the truths of the scriptures, we thank you that this is our foundation, our bedrock, our gold standard, and we ask that by your Holy Spirit you would open the eyes of our hearts to um, see you and to hear you and to know you better. And pour out your presence upon us. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But someone will ask... How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, you know, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual didn't come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man, talking about Jesus, is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, 
so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, which is code for die. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. With me? Yes, awesome. Uh, If you take a look at the Mount of Olives just outside Jerusalem, one of the things that you notice is that there's not much on there. Like It's kind of pretty barren wasteland. There are not many trees, there's not much grass, there's not much greenery, there's not much shrubbery or anything like that. And if you take a a closer look, you might see the pictures. There there you go, look at that, beautiful. I was there at the weekend. Um, If you uh, take a closer look, you see that the whole kind of side the sides of the Mount of Olives is actually covered in pretty impressive white tombstones. The Mount of Olives is, is covered with, with thousands of gravestones, uh, some of them dating back from before the time of Christ. And that's because for thousands of years, um, along with the early Christians, the Jews were, were put in the ground right outside the, 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 city walls, the city walls of Jerusalem. And the first century believers... They were marked by a belief. Something was going on with them and their belief system that was unlike anything that the world had ever seen. It was unlike anything. It was totally different from uh, kind of the Greeks or the Romans or the pagans about what they believed uh, around death and what happened after that. And their belief really was that death wasn't the end of the story. And by that, I'm not just talking about some kind of afterlife. You know, we've been touching on that over the last few weeks. There was all sorts of theories around what an afterlife might look like. What I'm talking about is they had this distinct belief that God wasn't done with the world that he created. And really at its core was this fundamental, deeply held belief in resurrection. And all these gravestones, they tell us a story. Right across the empire at this time, you would find hundreds of thousands of gravestones just like these, where the early followers of Jesus, they were buried, all of them facing Jerusalem, and inscribed on pretty much all of their graves, uh, you'd find one Latin word, resurgum, I shall arise. 
Because all of these first followers of Jesus, they were put into the ground facing Jerusalem with, I shall arise, I will arise, I will rise again on their graves in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. And in a way that had never been seen before, these followers of Jesus, they were, they were so marked by this sure, what became known as this sure and certain hope of the resurrection, that one day what God did for Jesus by bringing him back from the dead on that first Easter Sunday morning, God was going to do for all followers of Jesus. God was going to do for the entire cosmos. It just very much included them. They absolutely held on to that belief. And if you fast forward to today, we might actually well ask ourselves kind of what happened. Because it feels like, it seems like somewhere along the way, we've sort of lost the plot somewhere. Because it's not really how the majority of even believers today uh, think about what uh, about death and what happens uh, after our bodies have been committed to the ground. Um, many of us think of resurrection in this context as a bit of a lost theology. You know, we're kind of sure, um, at least I hope we are, that the resurrection happened to Jesus, that Jesus was raised from the dead. I think that's something that we all kind of uh, would go to the stake over. Uh, but when we think about our resurrection, us being resurrected, me being resurrected, well, Kind of like, it's a little bit more fingers crossed. I hope so. That would be nice. Um, I, but I don't really know. I'm not really sure. I think that's probably what I believe, is it? I don't know. Someone tell me. And the reality is that a lot of us actually hold beliefs that are much more in line with what the Corinthian church believed uh, than in what the Bible actually teaches. This is why Corinthians is such an awesome book for us in 21st century London, because we're not too dissimilar to the Corinthians. And you've got to remember that the Corinthians, they, the Christians in Corinth, they believed in the resurrection of Jesus. They believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. Uh, they believed that Jesus is back from the dead. They believe in an afterlife. They believe in life after death. You know, this kind of place that we might refer to as heaven. What they don't believe is they don't really believe in what happens after what we might call heaven. They don't really believe in the resurrection of the dead. They don't really believe in what we've been calling life after life after death. And if none of that makes any sense to you, just go back over the last few weeks and listen to the podcasts. Um, They're awesome. Anyway, uh, (laughs) this idea of life after life after death is really what this whole chapter 1 Corinthians 15 is all about it's it's kind of why we're here um Paul talks about what happens after heaven he talks about the resurrection he talks about what happens after resurrection what he calls the kingdom of God where God's rule and God's reign covers the earth and then in the passage what sort of happens is he we've kind of covered some of that and then he circles back and he tackles this probing question that we're going to dig into this morning so pick up let's pick up in verse 35 but someone will ask how are the dead raised with what kind of body will they come and you know this is a era Corinthian this is like Paul saying there's going to be the resurrection of the dead this is a valid question this is a good question it's like uh-huh, I don't really understand what are you talking about it's a good practical question that we should be asking and the Corinthians basically want to know they're saying okay Paul look right Let's just say that you're right. Let's just say that eternity doesn't take place up in the sky in some kind of non-bodily bliss. All right. Let's just imagine that eternity takes place here on earth 
like I've been saying over the last few weeks, dirt under your fingernails, food on your tongue, a glass of fine wine in your hand, you know, the new heavens and the new earth that we've been talking about. Let's just say for a moment, Paul, you're right. If that's all true, what kind of body am I going to get? You know, is it like a catalog? Do I pick? Like, what body do I get to come back in? And You've got to remember, again, we've talked about this, the, the Corinthian church, they're, they're masters of the Greek worldview. They're influenced by Plato. Plato talks a lot about there being two dimensions, two worlds, the material and the immaterial, the physical and the spiritual. And Plato's thoughts, his influence was basically that spiritual equals good, physical bad. Right, And uh, at death, Plato was saying that it's like, oh, the merciful release of death. Because at death, we're quite literally set free from the prison of our body. This terribly awful thing, our body. And what we do is we, we come out of that and we go into what he called the eternal forms, what we might sort of think of as heaven. The difficulty is that um, what Plato taught, what Plato thought, is what a lot of us in the church still actually um, think, which is... A little bit scary, but anyway, that's what the Corinthians believed. And here comes Paul and he says, <laughs> no, 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 my friends, you've got, it, you've got it all wrong. The physical world isn't bad. You know, the world that God made is good. Your body is good and um, food and drink and uh, mountains and oceans and fun and friends and um, sex and chocolates, you, you know, which God probably made from scratch. These are all good. All these things, are, these are good, okay? Uh, it's all God's creation. And, you know, uh, and um, you're suggesting that, you know, he's going to throw it all away. He's not going to throw it all away. He's not going to throw it all away and scrap it all and start again. God is going to redeem it all. He's going to renew it. He's going to make it as he always intended and designed for it to be. Your body is made in the image of God. It is good, and God is going to redeem it. At resurrection. And the Corinthians are like, what are you talking about? Because they're thinking that the body has got all these kind of fleshy associations and it's all evil. And they think it should get burned. It should get chucked on the fire. It should go. The, the body is evil. It's physicality after all. It's no good. And Paul says, no, it's, you've got that all wrong. You're upside down. It is good. We're made in God's image, for goodness sake. Um, where did you get that kind of strange, weird thinking from? And then the Corinthians are basically asking and saying, okay, then just suppose that's true. What kind of body are we going to come back with? And you've got to remember that in Greek, the, the phrase, the resurrection of the dead, is actually, is literally the resurrection of the corpses. So you can kind of understand why they're a little bit freaked out by this. They're, they're saying, Paul, are you, going to, are you saying that we're going to come back as corpses, you know, all decomposed and rotten, like some kind of zombie apocalypse? You know, they're thinking more like the walking dead. Um, and they're like, we don't understand. What are you saying? And Paul's response is, is pretty typical of Paul. Uh, Paul is definitely, if you know anything about the Enneagram, Paul's definitely an eight. Um, he says in verse 36, he says, how foolish, which could be translated, you stupid idiots. He, he is basically, this is Paul like slapping them around the face and saying, wake up, people. Look at what's in front of you. Get away from all of this rubbish that your culture is feeding you, all this stuff that you're picking up from the culture in which you're finding yourselves, and actually feed on the truth and feed on what's in here instead. And he unpacks two metaphors um, to help them get it and to better understand what the resurrection body will look like. Have a look at verse 36. 
What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just the seed, you know, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives it its own body. Now, we looked at this a, kind of t- a couple of weeks ago. We were looking at verse 23, and Paul talks about first fruits. And what he's doing here is he's picking up on that, that uh, image, that agricultural image, and he's back to it again. Um, and he's reminding us what happened to Jesus through his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection. And he's reminding us that what happened to him will happen to us. You know, you've got to remember, we've talked about this, what is true of Jesus is now true of those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. We were like Adam, but now in Christ, we become like Christ. And he picks this metaphor up and he plays around with it. He's saying, think about seeds. Think about how a seed goes into the ground and it dies and it's buried. And then after time, what happens to it? It comes back up out of the ground, resurrection, but now it comes back different. It comes back as a plant or as a flower or a tree or whatever, right? And Paul is saying the same thing is true of the body that you have right now and your resurrection body that you will have. The body you have right now is going to be sown in burial. It's going to go into, literally, physically, into the ground if you are buried in that way. It dies. It's going to get buried or it's going to get scattered or whatever it is, right? And then one day at the resurrection, that body will come back. But at the resurrection of the dead, it comes back different, praise Jesus, right? It comes back transformed. No longer, I mean, disappointing, I know, to many, but transformed, is the word he used. The idea here is that when you think about the body you have now and the body you will have forever, he's basically saying there's continuity and there's discontinuity. There's continuity in that it's going to be the same you. It's the same form of physicality. It's like arms and legs and fingers and toes. You know, the same kind of raw material because God made us in his image, right? But at the same time, it's changed. It's transformed. It's made into this whole new thing. What a plant or a flower or a tree is to a seed, the resurrection body is going to be to the ones that we inhabit now. Okay, next metaphor, verse 39. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. Fish another. There's also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. And the splendor of earthly bodies is another kind. The sun has one kind of splendor. The moon another. And the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. And how he's saying is like, just look around you, right? It's kind of there. It's all in front of you. You know, you're all used to the idea that we all need different kinds of what he calls flesh or different forms of physicality or ways of being to live in different environments. We get that, okay? So to live here on earth, you need a body like a human or an animal, right? If you're going to live in the sky, you kind of need a body like a bird. If you're going to live in the sea, you need a body like a fish. If you're going to live in space, you need a body that's going to be like the sun or the moon or the stars. Like, we get that. And Paul's point is to live in God's new world, to live in the new kingdom of God, to live in the new heavens and the new earth, to live in all the stuff that we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks. We're going to need a new body, right, with a new capacity fit for purpose, okay? And then he gets into what kind of body that's going to be. 
And he compares and he contrasts the present body that we're in now and the resurrection body that we're going to inhabit and live in forever. Verse 42. So would it be with the resurrection of dead. The body that is sown is perishable, this thing, but it's raised imperishable. And perishable just means mortal. It means that at some point in time, if you hadn't noticed already, this body of ours will break down. It wears out. Some quicker than others. It runs out of steam. We know that, sadly, too well. No matter how much we look after it. Unless Jesus comes back, we are all going to die. It's a fact of life. We're all going to die. We are mortal. But this perishable mortal body will be raised at the resurrection in perishable at the resurrection when we step into life after life after death our bodies become immortal the body that you will have for eternity isn't like this one it will live and last forever and ever and ever which comes as a great relief then in verse 43 he says this he says it's sown in dishonor it's raised in glory you know, I love Paul's honesty here. He's, he's blunt. You know, there's no getting away from it. You know, the body that is sown, it's sown when it dies, when it's buried. That's, there's dishonor there. There is no getting away from the fact that death is dishonoring. Death is not the natural order of things. Death was never part of God's plan. Death is the ultimate enemy. You know, if any of you have watched your loved ones die. It is dishonoring. That can be translated humiliating. Death is humiliating. Um, Nearly four years ago, I watched um, uh, my my mum. She fought a, a, a very short and very brutal battle with pancreatic cancer. And sitting by her bedside day in day out day after day night after night just alongside this remarkable woman who had raised me and loved me and juggled you know throughout her life just so many things just watching her die it was nothing short of dishonoring it was an incredible humiliation for her reduced to nothing, struggling, literally struggling for each and every breath, laboring just to stay alive, utterly dependent on the people around her for every single thing imaginable. Um, Death is not our friend. Dying is not our friend. Death is our enemy. It is not right. We do not shuffle off this mortal coil. We are wrenched body and spirit we are torn apart and in many cases it is nothing other than brutal but this body which is sown or is buried in dishonor at the resurrection praise god will be raised in glory our fragile and broken bodies will be raised at the resurrection as god originally intended raised in glory a body with honor and in the shape that god had intended from the beginning with no shame with no humiliation as we become fully human in the resurrection body as god intended reflecting his glory and then paul goes on he says it is sown when we're buried it's sown in weakness there's death 
is about weakness, but it's raised in power. And just in case you weren't aware, our bodies, they have limitations. Um, We can only do so much despite what we think. You know, and when we get to a certain age and we still think that we're 25, you know, we start doing things and then our bodies just start packing up on us and we're like, oh, I'm only 25. It's like, no, your body's like 55. It's not designed to do that anymore. We can only do so much and we can train and we can push, but we all have our limits. We don't have boundless energy. Apparently, our bodies peak around 25. So, and then it's all downhill. So if you're in that category, make the most of it. Uh, I'm not bitter. But like, I've heard, I'm not there yet, but I've heard that like at 50, you like wake up in the morning and just things, just, anyway, I'm not looking forward to that day, but I'm 23 years away from it. Anyway, we go into the grave, as you can tell from this fine example of, I'm sidetracked, we go into the grave, weak, we go into the grave, weak and fragile and brittle and broken. Happy Sunday. Welcome to church. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just helping you understand, just in case you didn't realize already. Like, it's in the Bible. But, 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 we're raised in power. Yay. Yeah, good, awesome. Life in the age to come is all about boundless energy. You know, waking up every morning, raring to go. Not even needing like 17 cups of coffee in order to do that. You know, ready to take on anything in the adventure that is the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah, bring it on. We can do anything. We feel fully alive all the time. Wide awake to everything that this renewed world has in store. And we will feel like that forever. Imagine waking up every morning in the new heavens and the new earth. Saying to one another, oh, morning, morning, morning. What should we do today? Oh, I don't know. Let's go and climb some mountains. <gasps> yeah, let's go and climb some mountains. Or let's go exploring this great new expansive world. Let's go sailing. Let's go swimming. Let's go skiing. And I don't have to worry about my broken snapped ACL. <laughs> then in verse 44, it's sown a natural body. It's raised the spiritual body. So it gets complicated a bit. But anyway, in context, Paul's arguing for a physical bodily resurrection. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Physical bodily resurrection. You know, when you come back from the dead and you live here on earth in the fullness of the rule and the reign of all of God's kingdom in its entirety, it, we, we do that in a body. You know, not, not in a sort of ethereal kind of like will-o'-the-wisp thing with clouds and, and harps and robes. In a body, very similar to this one that we have now, because we are God's design. But at present, we are living in what Paul calls a natural body. And what he means by that is basically a body that is animated, um, is, is, is uh, animated, <laughs> animated, set in motion by the soul it's empowered by the sort of life force within it it's kind of like you know we've got some triple a batteries keeping us going and we know that that's all going to run out of steam but it is raised a spiritual body and when paul uses the word spiritual here he's not meaning like spiritual as opposed to physical spiritual means animated not by triple a batteries he means animated by the holy spirit like set in motion, empowered by the Holy Spirit in all of his fullness. And you see, we become spiritual, as Paul means it here, when God comes into us, into our natural bodies. When we give our lives to Jesus, um, we, are, we become a spiritual body and, and the Spirit of God comes into our bodies. 
um, he fills us, he animates us, he puts us in motion. All right? We're no longer just running on a set of AAA batteries. As followers of Jesus, we are led increasingly by and directed by and filled and, and fueled by the Holy Spirit himself. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians, by be filled, go on being filled by the Holy Spirit. It's like be led by, be directed by, be governed by, be ruled by, be set in motion by the Holy Spirit. And what Paul's saying is that here's the difference between the body that you have right now and the body that's to come. The one that you have right now is animated by the soul. It's animated by the life force within you. But, he says, the resurrection body will be animated by the Spirit in all of God's fullness. There will be no leaking in heaven. God's Spirit will be in us. Sort of like he is now, but in the future it will be and some. As if the power, as if the power that is pumping the blood around our veins will be the spirit of God himself. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And he, he quotes Genesis uh, chapter 2 verse 7 uh, in verse 45. He says, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, a life-giving spirit. You see how these two things are complementing each other. Paul's going back to verse 22 about Jesus and Adam being in parallel because both represent humanity. Humanity's sin and death brought about through Adam and humanity's resurrection and life brought about through and by the person of Jesus. Paul's point is that what happened to Adam has happened to all of us. And what happened to Jesus will happen to all of us as followers of Jesus. First, we got Adam, then we get Jesus. He goes on in verse 48. The spiritual didn't come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust. This is Adam. Adam was of the earth, right? The second man, Jesus, he is of heaven, okay? He goes on. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, us, And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven, us, as we are stepping into the fullness of our calling. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, Adam, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man, Jesus. Now, don't get lost. This is actually really simple. He's saying, basically, right now, we look like Adam. We live in a body that's animated by the soul. And at some point, it all just breaks down and dies. What do you go, we go into the grave, uh, sin, disease, and death. It's all ours through Adam, right? But one day, for followers of Jesus, one day we will look not like Adam, but we will look like Jesus. One day we will inhabit, you will inhabit a body that is animated by the Holy Spirit in all of its fullness, a heavenly body reflective of God's presence and glory in the shape that God originally intended. One day we will look like Jesus. And resurrection is all about becoming like Jesus. This is the ultimate outworking of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, being transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus. Right? Um, this is literally in the age to come we will be in his image and it's more than just thinking and feeling and talking like jesus one day we will look like him in our bodies verse 50 okay i declare to you brothers and sisters are you still with me yeah Yeah, thank you I, i i will finish at some point 
I just don't know what day it will be on. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Basically, Paul's saying that the body that you've got right now, it's not fit for purpose. It won't work in God's new world, in the new heavens and the new earth. Your body's going to wear out. You're going to need one that can last forever so that you will be able to enjoy all of God's renewal of creation forever and ever and ever here on earth. This one won't cut it. And then what Paul does is just a bit of an aside, really, Um, He addresses those who find themselves still alive when Jesus comes back. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when he's coming back, right? Um, All of this is for the people, so far it's been about the people who are already dead when Jesus comes back. What about those who are still alive when Jesus returns? You know, they're not in the grave because they didn't die. Um, Are they just out of luck? You know, is it like, I hadn't really planned for this. There's a whole bunch of people. I, I didn't really know what to do with them. I can resurrect the dead, but I don't know about resurrecting the people alive. I don't know what to do. Are you stuck in your feeble mortal body forever? Paul answers this in verse 51. Behold, listen up. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will not all die. Some people will still be alive when Jesus comes back. However, we will all, alive or dead, be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the last trumpet that's when jesus comes back the last trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed and this is about resurrection this isn't about rapture we're not going to go there right now we will all be changed whether we're alive or dead when jesus comes back it's okay right he's got you covered in his awesome plan as followers of jesus all followers of jesus we get this new imperishable body you know it's 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 remade from the inside out verse 53 for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality we get that we take off the old body like an old set of clothes and we put on this new set verse 54 when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality then the saying that is written will come true death has been swallowed up in victory where O death is your victory where O death is your sting the sting of death is sin the power of the sin is the law but thanks be to god he gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ this is what it's all getting down to this is the point our ultimate enemy the ultimate expression of sin has been defeated god will destroy death forever death is literally swallowed up it disappears it is gone god whether you know it or not you realize it or not god is at war with death and sin itself and he has been and he conquers all of them death and all his friends um sin and death and murder and violence and genocide and all the unsavory associations of this expression of the opposite of god's will the list goes on all of it gets defeated once and for all at the resurrection jesus brings victory and ends the dominion and the rule and the tyranny and the oppression of death until the only thing left in a grave at the end is death itself because death has been swallowed up in victory the biblical hope that we hold fast to in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection you know it's not it's not 
that we will float off to sit on some cloud, strumming a harp forever and ever. Amen. Singing Amazing Grace. Where did we get? Where did we sell the gospel so short? Where did we settle and satisfy, be satisfied with such a, a, a parody almost of the gospel? The biblical hope in the resurrection is not even just reimagining life after life after death in the new heaven and the new earth, all of which is amazing, by the way. The biblical hope in the resurrection is that no matter what kind of evil assaults us, no matter what kind of evil assaults our bodies, the cancer, the Parkinson's, the mental health struggles, the miscarriages, the motor neuron disease, the death, all of it ultimately ending in one thing guaranteed, always, death. The biblical hope is that no matter what kind of evil every single one of us is facing or any kind of evil that we will come up against, the biblical hope is that Jesus is back from the dead. Jesus is back from the dead. And if resurrection is possible, anything is possible. It is the game changer. There is no limit to Jesus' power. He is raised from the dead. Hello! There are no limits to Jesus' capacity. There are no limits to Jesus' ability to redeem and to turn evil into good. No matter what we may experience from living in a broken and violent and fallen world, no matter what we are experiencing, Jesus is right there at your side with you. Whether you see him or not, whether you recognize his presence or not, he is in it with you. He is right up to his neck in it with you. He is through it all with you. He trod. He has trod your very path. He has walked exactly the same walk that you are walking right now. And he will turn every evil into good. That's what he does. He redeems. He saves. He rescues. He triumphs. The cross If you don't believe it, just look at the cross. The cross is the ultimate story of how God takes something utterly evil, utterly satanic, utterly demonic, and he turns it literally on his, on its head, and it comes out in resurrection. (laughs) He turns evil into good. And he's been doing it ever since. No matter what you're going through today, um, Jesus is back from the dead. You know, and we are called to walk in this hope, to walk in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection, to 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 have resurged jam across our foreheads and dug onto our gravestones. We're to walk today in this concrete, steady, unwavering faith that Jesus is back from the dead. There's, there's a whole new world, his kingdom bursting at the seams. It's groaning and it's aching and it's waiting for the time to be fulfilled. God is creating a new world where anything is possible and the power of sin and of death and of all of his friends is broken once and for all. God is bringing his new creation. It's just a matter of time. Whatever um, we're going through. We will come out the other side. Jesus is back from the dead. He is here. He is on the move. The kingdom is coming. You know, Jesus is back from the dead. And do you know what? That the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, 
So the very same breath, the very same power that literally pulled Jesus out of the tomb and raised him bodily from the dead, where is that spirit right now? It's not a rhetorical question. Ah, Romans 8. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. That same spirit, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us right now, this morning. He is wanting to bring a taste of the new heavens and the new earth, a foretaste, a deposit, if you like, of the new heavens and the new earth into our lives today. It doesn't change the outcome unless Jesus comes back. We will all die. But we live in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection, empowered and filled and equipped by the presence of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is here right now. He's here in each one of us. He's here in this room. And he's here to minister that hope to us this morning. So why don't you stand and we'll pray for one another.